0: Uh, before, before we read Luke 7:36, th- uh, sometimes a school project can turn into like a lifelong uh, memory. Um, my son Jonah's here tonight. He's a middle schooler, sixth grade, and he's got aviation class, like way cooler than any of the classes I had growing up. I don't know about you, but he's got a teacher that's a, 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 a pilot for, uh, for fun, and they let him teach a class on aviation, and so he's got to do a book report, and I told Steve, who, who's one of our leaders that my son's going to do a book report on a plane. Well, Steve owns a beach bonanza and is a pilot and was a Air Force F-16 fighter pilot back in the day. And she's like, oh, why don't you bring Jonah over to the hangar and show him my plane and maybe we can go up for a little flight. I'm like, whoa, that would be great, like score for dad, you know, um, and he could do the report on his beach bonanza. And so, so we did that and we went out to the hangar. I think, I think we got, do we have the photo, Lee? Um, yeah, so, so there's Steve showing him every bit of it and gave us a tour of the whole plane, how it works, and it was really exciting. And then, he not only did he take us up and, and show us from the air, but he actually let my son fly the plane, right? which is a big deal, he's 11, and so I-, I didn't fly a plane 11, but the crazier thing was we all on you know, these Bose comm systems, so I hear Jonas saying, oh man, I'm nervous, as he has the only controls to the plane, and we're hitting little pockets of turbulence, and then Steve has them, it's like, oh no, why don't you do some 60 degree turns, so we are going sideways, and my son's got it. And I'm in the back thinking, Jesus, Jesus, save me. You know, and it was, it was just one of those like great, it was so cool. We stopped off in Independence, small town out of Salem and had a great brunch together. And then Steve prepared a surprise. He's got a friend who's a pilot of a $7 million jet. And so we flew into this other airport and uh, the pilot's there and gives us this little personal tour of this huge jet. And Jonah gets to jump up in the, the, the pilot seat. And, and this... You know, sometimes like you ever hope for a little and get like a whole lot and ever been blown away, like getting way more, 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 more than you would ever hope for. I mean, maybe maybe that's not your experience, but this was one of those like abundant overflow opportunities. How do we respond when something like that happens to us? I mean, ever just get something, you, you know, you don't deserve it, but you got it. And you're overjoyed by it. How do you respond to the person giving it? Now, Steve happens to be a good buddy of mine. We've known each other for years. But I was just so blessed that my friend would think of us this way and go out of his way to give us what we certainly, we didn't even ask for it. We definitely didn't deserve it. Well, that does something. Um, and, And I hope that does something in our own soul when we think about what God in the person of Jesus has done for us. So I want to jump in with that in mind into a story in Luke's Gospel, Luke 7:36 because it tells us about someone who encountered something beautiful, something big, something beyond what they were hoping for, and I want us to notice tonight their response. So let's just read for a little bit and then we'll kind of give some thoughts. It says when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went out to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And then look at what she does, verse 38. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, we're gonna continue to read the story, but... What I want us to do is just pause for a second and and look at what's happening at this dinner. So in order to do this, the way this works, this is a narrative. Uh, The Bible's full of all sorts of types of literature. It's written in many ways. There's poems in the Bible, the Psalms and some of the Proverbs. But a lot of the Gospels that Jesus encounters are written as narrative. They're written as stories. But when I say story, do not think Disney fairy tale. These things really happen. But each author, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they give us not everything that happened, but they give us enough. And the story is meant to teach us something. So let's just jump into it. So imagine it's uh, the synagogue. That's what they didn't have church at synagogue. So it's after the synagogue and there's no Chipotle, there's no McMinniman. So after you worship, you got to go eat somewhere. But we all live in a culture of hospitality. The community we live in, people invite each other into the home. We share. We don't have garage doors where we close people out. No, in our community, we invite and we welcome people in. So a Pharisee, who's like a big deal, a leader in our community, uh, notices Jesus. And so he invites Jesus to be a guest at his home. And he's invited you too. Matter of fact, he's got a pretty big house. He invites all of us. So we go into the house and we're going to have this meal. And he pours out food after food after food you give to your guests. You're generous. And so we're seated and reclined at the table. So there's two ways that this happens. If you're a guest, we get to sit on these little kind of cushions on the floor with these little simple tables. And, and we sit and our feet are to the side and we, we relax, we chill, we eat, we talk. We're in no rush. And that's, that's how we do our life together. So as that's happening, there are other people coming in and out. The Pharisee, uh, Simon, we're going to find out is his name. He leaves the door open. That's what you do. People kind of come in and out. Uh, You have people down the road who hear voices who just kind of check in. That's okay. You have people who weren't invited. Maybe some who are a little poor or eh, not on the Pharisees level, but they can come in and they can stand on the side. So they get to stand on the side and kind of watch. And if Jesus decides to teach, they get to listen in. You can hang out by the door, by the window. We're not closed off, but there's two groups. There's those reclined at the table and those who are off to the side. Now again because we're not we don't live in the first century, we need that kind of background to see what's happening here. So, this woman at this dinner encounter, where is she? Let's just look back in the story. She's standing by Jesus's feet. So, we need to know that she's not an invited guest. She's off to the side and she throws the whole meal into a bit of a chaos because what does she do? She starts to cry. So she's got emotional challenges. You know, at dinner, she starts to burst out in tears. Not only does she burst out in tears, she's crying so much. Have you ever cried so much where your tears hit the floor? That's happened to me a few times. I'm just sobbing. Well, she's sobbing so much, she's wetting Jesus's feet. So then what does she do? She doesn't have like a handkerchief. She, She gets on the floor. She undoes her hair, which is up, and she wipes it. And she begins to kiss this guest's feet and honors him in this huge way. And then she pulls out of her little dress a jar that's filled with perfume. This is no cheap knockoff. This this could be up to a year's worth of money in a bottle. And she pours it out on Jesus's feet. So in the middle of dinner, you're smelling chips and hummus. And now it's suddenly, it's, it's, wow. The waft of this perfume it invades the whole room. It spills down to the end of the street, and something strange is going on, and that's what we're supposed to see. Now, look at a couple of responses to what happened. Let's just keep reading for a little bit. Verse thirty-nine. What happens? A response to this lady's seemingly crazy actions. What happens? Verse thirty-nine. When the Pharisees, or to his house, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself. If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, so we know his name. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Now, before we look at what Jesus says, I want you to see what's going on here. Uh, The way that narrative stories work, some of us would just read the Bible and kind of truck through and we look for some highlight point. The stories themselves have power. The stories are meant to teach us. So when you read a narrative, you're looking to see the character, the people. Because the way Luke is writing, he doesn't give us every detail, but everything he gives us about each person is supposed to pit something in you. There's the hero and there's like the enemy or the villain. There's the person that you should be like. There's the person you should not be like. And so already in this little scene, Luke is telling us who the bad guy is. The bad guy is the Pharisee. Now, pause for a moment. Uh, Jesus isn't against the Pharisee, but notice what he has done in his own soul. The Pharisee has said to himself. So the Pharisee doesn't say anything out loud, but the Pharisee says in his own soul this guy, Jesus, who he thinks is respectable, he can't be a prophet. Why? Because a prophet would know. Prophets were known to speak for God. So he would know, he had an insight from God that this woman, she's a sinner. She's a disgrace. She, she wasn't invited. She shouldn't, this, this holy man, if he were holy, should not be touched by this woman. And so she is not a pro, uh, he's not a prophet because certainly he doesn't realize this lady is a sinner. And so now in a little ironic twist, um, verse 40, Jesus answered, I have something to tell you. The story he's about to tell him is proof that Jesus is a prophet because Jesus knows what Simon's already thinking. Now, don't judge uh, Simon too quickly, too fast because he just jumps to conclusions. Jesus is not a prophet. This woman is a sinner, but we do the same thing. Ever uh, drive along the road and get cut off or someone's driving too slow or does something weird and you, 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 if you're a guy, you're driving along you and say like, that's, that's got to be a woman driving because there's no way a guy, like, you know, I'm, I'm not saying you should do this, but I'm saying, I have been guilty of saying that must be a female driver. I'm, I'm throwing it out there. I have said it. I have thought it. I'm confessing my sin and so have some of you. are like, you like, or, or, or we're driving and we're on the on-ramp to 26 and you see someone begging and with a little sign, a little bit of money, sad face, and immediately in your mind, like, I'm not going to make eye contact. And, and we immediately jump to conclusions about is this person legitimately in need or are they not in need? We quickly jump to conclusions all the time. So Jesus isn't going to jump against the Pharisee because of his quick conclusion, but actually because of something deeper, something that's off in his own heart. So let's just look at what Jesus says, verse 41. It says, uh, Jesus said, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, which in like U.S. money, it would be about two, uh, just about two years of a person's wage. So whatever you make in a year, just multiply it twice. So two years of a person's wage. And the other person owed 50 or about two months of a, a person's wage. And uh, Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them loved him more? And Simon replied, uh, I suppose, the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. So again, I want to pause and I want us to look at what Jesus said. He gives a parable. So Jesus, who Simon thinks is not a prophet. He is not from God. Jesus, we see in the narrative, actually is from God and knows what he's thinking. And he tells a story to kind of combat his, his off-world view. Two people owe money. So it's a very simple story. Two people owe money. One owes about two years, he can't pay back. One owes about two months, he can't pay back. And the person who lent both of them the money is just generous. And so he decides, I'm gonna let both of them off the hook. Uh, they don't have to pay me back. Done deal. And then he asks the question, well, who, who's, which of the two is gonna love him more? So what we're supposed to see what Jesus is giving us insight, and Luke is writing this so that you and I, the reader, the listener, we would get a glimpse of, of what God is like. So the Pharisee is like us. He's quick to judge. He judges Jesus. He judges the other person. But then you see what God is like, and God is like the money lender here in the story. Two people owe. Yeah, their amounts are different, but their situation is the same. If you can't pay two months, you can't pay two years, you just can't pay. But notice how radically different God is. The money lender is in this parable. Uh, imagine you, you, you have a mortgage on your house and you lose your job and you're hardworking and you're diligent and you pay your bills on time, but now you can't. And, and imagine you a couple of months into defaulting on your mortgage that the, the bank calls you like they would and sets an appointment like they would and they invite you to come in. They want to find out what the story is. And, and you ask for a little bit. You ask for like a little bit of grace. I've hit a hard spot. I lost my job. I'm, I'm working hard to find it. Hey, if you can cut me some slack, I, I'm going to get on track. Look at my record. I've, I've paid my bills. And, but, well, can you pay right now? I know I, I can't. We got to see ourselves in the story. We're the people who owe. Now, some owe 500, some owe uh, 50. But the point is we both owe beyond what we're able. So imagine if the, the banker himself said, okay, I, I get it. Thank you and takes out his personal checkbook and says, okay, you owe X amount of $100,000 on this house or whatever you owe, and you know what? I'm going to pay it, and you're totally in the clear. I get it. Just go in peace. Enjoy. Like, how floored would you be? What would your response be if you got way, 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 way more than you deserve to get? What would your response be? I just think about the little situation. I just wanted my son to have a book report And have a cool little around the hanger experience. We got way more. And and the person who's been given more, like Simon says, correctly. The person who's been given more towards them uh, is, yeah, they're going to love them more. And Jesus says, you have judged correctly. But we got to see that the point of Jesus telling the story is to give insight to Simon and to us of what's going on in the world of this woman. The entire story is about this woman because she does something so out of the ordinary, so spectacular, so special in the eyes of Jesus that she wants Simon to know it and all the guests to know it and inspires Luke to put this down so that we would know her response is the right response. You've got God who's a moneylender. You've got the Pharisee who's like most of us and our response, quick to judge, quick to point the finger, quick to miss out what's going on then you have this woman. So what, why did she respond this way? Verse 44. Then Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon. You see this woman? And then he contrasts. I came into your house. You didn't give me any water from my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. So she went above and beyond. You didn't give me a kiss, a kiss of welcome and hospitality. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. So a a, a gentle welcome would be a kiss and an embrace still done in the Middle East. But but she's gone, she's gone different. She's kissed my feet. She's humbled herself and honored me in a way that you didn't. Uh, Verse 46, you didn't put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume, expensive, on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, and us, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace, forgiveness and forgiveness love. There's a definite connection uh, between forgiveness and love and we see the interplay here. We see it in the story that Jesus tells that the person who's forgiven 500 or more who believes that they've gotten a better deal is going to respond with love in a deeper way than the person who believes that they've been forgiven little. But remember, it's not about the money. It's not about the story. It's about two people in the room. The Pharisee is a respectable teacher and a leader and an upstanding person. And this woman is an outcast in the community. She's considered a sinner. And so 550. So we see the obvious. She's the person who has responded in a way like she's been forgiven. 500, two years wage. She has had a big burden lifted in her world. And so she responds with greater love. Now, Jesus isn't slamming the Pharisee because he didn't give water. You didn't have to give your guests water to clean their feet. You didn't have to. It would have been a nice thing to do. But he did not he, he did what was right. He just didn't go above and beyond. She did. And you certainly don't have to kiss all your guests as they come in. But she went above and beyond. She did. So the Pharisee is the person who's been forgiven a little, so to speak, 50. But what we need to see here is that they've both been forgiven a debt they couldn't pay. Both of them had experienced grace. Both of them had experienced uh, outlandish mercy. Both got more than they deserved, but one person saw it as more valuable, and that is the point of the story. The woman in the story sees the grace that she's been given as more valuable. For her, it was like two years debt, and to the Pharisee, who's been given grace by God as well, he didn't see it as valuable. And so what Jesus is telling them is there is this relationship between my and our perception of God's goodness and perception of God's forgiveness that will be a direct correspondence to my response, my attitude, my love, the way that I live my life. Brass tacks, bottom line, what you and I perceive about God's goodness towards us will affect the way that we respond to him. And so we got to think in our world, we're supposed to read the story and then see ourselves in contrast. Okay, so where am I? Where are you? Where, Where are we? Are we more like the Pharisee who perceives that, yeah, he got two months of a break, but he's mostly an okay guy? Or are we more, when we think about God and his goodness towards us, are we more like the woman? Do we see what God has done for us that we don't deserve, that he's been kind do we see it with that kind of passion that we're willing to go, she's willing to risk her already feeble reputation to interrupt this dinner and stand by Jesus. It, she's certainly gonna get a backlash later on. To put herself in, exposed in front of this crowd of people in her neighborhood and bawl like a baby and, and worship in a sense and honor and respect Jesus. She's gonna hear about it forever. But yet for her, What Jesus had already done in her world was so big. And this is a little twist that you may not have picked up. She's already met Jesus and she's already been forgiven. How do I know that? Verse 47. Look back at verse 47. Because we think that this, well, maybe she just met Jesus and she's overwhelmed. Actually not true. Therefore, I tell you, he's telling Simon and us, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. So, so we don't know. We don't know when they met. We don't know how it happened. But we are supposed to know because Jesus tells us, hey, what you see here is a demonstration. She's already been forgiven. They had some encounter and she's experienced God's forgiveness. And as a result, her, her world has been changed. So when she hears that Jesus is back in town and Jesus is in the house, she's willing to go after him and find him and get by his side. And, and she's so overwhelmed by it. She can't help but well up with tears. Now, I just wonder, like, if Jesus were around us, how would we respond? Like, think, think about it. We've come here to a, a, a hall, an auditorium and a school, but we come to be a gathering of God's people to worship Jesus. What kind of posture do we have when we come in to worship? Do we come in more like the Pharisee? Yeah, Jesus, thank you. You've done something good. Or is our heart, is, is my mind, is my attitude, is my mindset more like this woman overwhelmed by God's mercy this week, this month, this year, this life? Do we see ourselves as abundantly blessed? Now, if you see yourselves have been forgiven a great debt, what will happen is you will, you will see Jesus in a different light and you will respond in whole new ways. If you've really been touched, it's like seriously, by forgiveness. If you've experienced God's freedom, if you have have met and encountered God and his goodness, when you know you don't deserve it, it should change your posture. The Pharisee still sees himself as a leader and he judges her and he judges Jesus, but she's just crushed and overwhelmed. And obviously we know which one Jesus honors. He honors those who recognize the great things that God has done. So tonight, have you ever been like, given way, 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 way more than you deserve. Um, I'll give you one more airplane story because this is probably like, for me, the biggest tangible thing I ever received. Um, my wife and I were living in Colorado Springs at the time. It was 2005, by eight years ago. And I was traveling and preaching and was getting ready to do a festival in Wenatchee, Washington. Any you know Wenatchee, Central Washington? Love the place. And anyway, uh, I was organizing a festival and speaking at it. And so... Midway through, realized Carmen's pregnant, no surprise, and then, and we realized the due date is around the week of the festival. It was too late for me to change the date, so we're getting closer and closer. I'm hoping they'll move her due date. Didn't happen, so what do I do? We made a decision, okay, I'm gonna go, we're living in Colorado, I'm gonna go to Wenatchee, but if you call me, maybe I will jump on that plane. I will get on a plane. Uh, I had a backup preacher with me that week in case I couldn't do it, and and I'll fly home. I'm not gonna miss the birth of my daughter. And so I was just so looking forward to this moment. I'm not gonna miss it, honey. I will come home. So I got my phone with me at all times. The the events are Friday and Saturday. I'm in Wenatchee. Wednesday between 12 and like three in the morning, I got a phone call from Carmen in Colorado. Hon, I'm on my way to the hospital. I'm like, okay, no problem. So, so it's, it's the middle of the night. I'm like, I'm in Wenatchee. There's no like 1 a.m. flight out of Wenatchee, Washington. It's, it's just not, there's no 1 a.m. flight out of anywhere other than PDX maybe. So I'm like, okay, all right. Uh, I, I, I didn't have an iPhone, so I pulled out a book. It's called the phone book. It's in the hotel. And I flipped through the pages to like airlines. Like, all right, who could I call? So there's a couple of private air carriers. So I'm like, great. So I call them up. I'm like, this sounds crazy, My wife's about to give birth in Colorado. Uh, do you have any planes available that could take me there? He's like, yeah, we got a plane that just landed from Seattle. We could be wheels up in 30 minutes. 30 minutes? Like, yeah, okay. I'm going to do it. Can you hold it, your name? About how much does it cost? They tell me I'm out. Throw stuff in the bag. Got my friend Jeremy in the room next door. Knock on his door. Come on, dude, we're ready. So we go. We drive to the little airport and go to the hangar with these private jets. And I get there and it begins to dawn on me. This isn't going to be cheap. So, so I, I just said, get me there. And I realized I got to get back. So, all right, all right, I gotta get back. So, I'm like so, all right, how much is it again? Well, it's 11,000 one way. But if you wanna go round trip, because we gotta fly the guys back anyway, it'll only be 13,500 total. So, so, it's cheaper to go round trip when you're hiring a jet. No, I'm, I'm not kidding you. This is exactly where I heard. So, I made a commitment to be there for my daughter's birth. So, I'm like, I am there. Uh, so, we are like, let's do it. And, and, and I didn't have $13,500 in cash in my pocket, nor did I have it in my checking account. Took out credit card, on there, jump on the plane, wheels up, we fly out. I, I, I fly to Colorado, I land, adrenaline's pumping because in my mind, I'm gonna land, baby will still be in the belly, Alina's gonna be born, I'm gonna be there, pictures, video, I'm gonna fly back to Colorado, Tens of thousands of people are going to be there at uh, Tornatchee, and, and I'm going to show this at this festival. I'm going to use an illustration of birth and new life. It's going to be awesome. Tons of people are going to follow Jesus. It's going to be great. So I got this going in my head. And so, so I, we land, and then they have a taxi ready for me. They ask what restaurant I want food from because they're going to go get it and bring it to the plane. If you pay paying that much, they evidently feed you. And so I, I get in there, I got a voicemail listening on the way to, my, to the hospital. And Carmen is like, hun, they sent me home. It was false labor. Don't go to the hospital. Call me. So I, I, I called her and I'm like, no. And she's like, she's like, I'm home. I'm like, no, no, you're not home. So being very type A, I'm like, we're going to see this doctor right now because I got X amount of time. I got to get on this plane. I got to fly it back now, 13,500. I, I got to do it. And I'm like, no, no, no. So, so, so we go to the doctor. I'm like, doctor, you don't understand. I have a jet that flew me in. I've got to leave in two hours. Deliver this baby. <laughs> and they said, like, lung development. They threw the doctor card. Her lungs aren't developed yet, so if we try to deliver her now, she... I'm like, okay, lung development evidently is important. And so I'm like, so I go moping back to the, to the air, airport and I get on the jet and the, the, I fly a lot, but the loneliest flight of my life was realizing I owe $13,500 and I don't have a child. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, we, we bought a car cash. I'm like, I can go home. I'll sell it. I could pay most of it but then we're going to already have one car. and I'm like, oh no, what do I do? And so I go back, I land. Everyone's like, well, 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 I'm like, no, 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 I've got nothing. And so we do this festival Friday, Saturday. It went gloriously, but in the back of my mind, i keep thinking about this airplane and what I'm going to do. And so Monday, I had a flight booked out to go home uh, to Colorado. Commercial, regular, $300 flight, okay? And, and so... So I'm about to go and meeting some friends we've made over the years of organizing this. And, and so I had one of the friends invite me to his office and he's like, hey, sad to see you go, but look what God did this weekend, glorious. We just were rejoicing. And he's like, I, I just want you to know, I went over to the airplane place and I ripped up the credit card slip and I talked to some of my buddies here and we realized that you just, you just wanted to honor your family. And we paid it. I just about dropped dead. I I, like you did what? Like, yeah, we just, we love you. We, we know your heart is good. You're crazy, but we, but we just, we felt like you did what well, was right by your family. So I'm like, so I'm a crier as you can tell. So it's eight years later and I still cry. Back. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And I probably hit the ceiling twice. I like, When you think I've got, I don't know how to do this. And when you realize that someone loves you enough to pay what you cannot pay. I have never, I've been given a lot of good things in life, but never been shown by someone else that kind of love. And so, of course, like those friends that did that, what kind of friends are they to me? Of course, the person who has received much, what? loves much, I see them in a different way because they've given me way, 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 way way more than I ever deserve. And so what I've received affects the way I see them. And that is what it's supposed to be like when we think about God's love. Those guys, Wenatchee, they mean the world to me because they've demonstrated love when I didn't deserve it. And when you think back to our scenario, this woman, what sins did she do? Uh, Was the Pharisee not a sinner too? Didn't he have to go to temple and and offer his sacrifice just like she did? Didn't he have his issues just like she did? The difference in the story and the difference in the way we approach God is some people see themselves more like they really are. We're all like the woman. None of us are as righteous as the Pharisee. We all have our story. We all need forgiveness. And we've all been given way more than we deserve. And so the invitation that Jesus gives and the thing that he highlights is this woman recognized who Jesus is and how good he is towards people who are not all that good. And so her response is humility and and tears and love and appreciation and her little perfume, special, I give it to you, Jesus. You've, You've forgiven me. You see me for who God made me to be and you haven't judged me and when when you think about god's attitude towards you do you see jesus as a generous money lender so to speak as one who's been gracious to people who owe and cannot pay do you see him as someone who's given you much or someone who's yeah he's helped a little but for the most part I'm an altogether good guy our response our perception of God's forgiveness and grace and mercy and love, it will affect the way that we live. And and that's why I was so stirred when I heard this little 10-minute devo on it because it made me realize how much I can take Jesus for granted. Our response shows what we really believe about God's forgiveness. And that's the whole point of this parable. That's the point this whole passage, is our response shows. Remember, Jesus said in verse 47, she's, she's been forgiven, she's been set, set free, as she has shown. You see, she had already been touched by Jesus for the good, and so now, when she's, she sees Jesus again, she's moved with a heart of love. And I just, I just wonder if we, as a community, and maybe we as a church in America in the big picture, and maybe just you as an individual or a couple or family, I wonder if we just take this whole forgiveness thing for granted. I wonder if the routine of church and missional community and Bible study and and concerts and conferences and all the stuff, the stuff that, it's good stuff. It's all good. But I wonder if all the trappings has numbed us a little bit to how great God's forgiveness is. I wonder if we get like stirred anymore to realize, do you know I sinned every day this week, every day. And God in his mercy, as I just confess that to him, said, Jesus, I'm sorry, I did this again. And I didn't want to, and I did. And I've experienced God's mercy and forgiveness this week, every day. And does it get old? I guess is the question. Are you still tender is it still fresh or is it like, yeah, God loves me and he accepts me. And of course I'm his child and you are his child. And I'm not suggesting we're supposed to walk around like, with the, oh, woe is me. I'm such a piece of dirt. No, you're a child. You're a, a son or a daughter of the creator of the universe. He's taking you out of darkness and into light, out of the kingdom of death and into the kingdom of freedom. You are seated with Jesus. You're an heir to all that God has and all that God is. You are a child of God if you're in Jesus and that's beautiful and you should feel good about that. But yet at the same time, we ought to have a little bit of reverence and respect and we should gush. I'm not saying cry if that's not your thing, but we should be touched by the weight of God's forgiveness in our world. Now, what I can tell is this, is Jesus is right person who's been forgiven much, loves much. So when I see my response to God in the way that I sing, in the way that I worship, in the way that I pursue, in the way that I'm hungry to learn, in the way that I treat others, in the way that I watch the scriptures and try to line up my life to it, that is a reflection of what's going on on the inside. So in a sense, we can all tell where we are in our relationship to forgiveness by the way that we live. And so sometimes we fall apart and that's a good thing. And so in in any of these worship experiences, if your hands go up, that's a beautiful thing. If your hands stay down, that's a beautiful thing. The point is not your physical posture, but the point is if we stiff arm God in the way that we worship and we're like, God, I'm not that impressed this Sunday. Go Blazers. If, if we If we worship with that kind of like glib attitude, I wonder if the issue is not the songs and the trappings, but if, I wonder if the issue is our own heart that at times we all tend to forget how generous God really is, so I guess this week I was just swept up again, realizing i 've been forgiven, and i 'm not entitled to it that that freedom from that uh, huge airplane bill is just a drop in the bucket of the freedom that Jesus has given to every one of us. Just do we see it as God being generous? Or do we see it as yeah, a little. Tonight, where? Where are we in our response? as a community and, and as just a Christian, a human? I want to grow week by week, year by year, and become more enamored by Jesus. I get choked up about these things, and tears don't prove anything. But if Jesus' is forgiveness is so what? And that's a shame. So tonight, we we just want to respond, not in somber ways, but in ways that are appropriate to the gift we've been given, right? If Jesus has chosen to forgive us, then that ought to change everything, everything about who I am and, and how I live. And so tonight, maybe you can respond in ways that are extravagant, Like the lady who doesn't care what anybody else thinks because she knows who Jesus is. And if you know who Jesus is, it's okay to be excited about it and to respond in ways that honor him. And for all of us, physically, that will look different. For some, it's hands low or knees bent or hands lifted or loud or silent. Jesus knows what's going on, but he's looking for a response that's worth what he's already given.